The OMTG Taps is brought to you by StarCityGames.com. On February 26th and 27th, the StarCityGames.com Open Series hits Washington, D.C., and this event is going to be huge. We're talking hundreds of players, over $17,000 in cash prizes for the standard Legacy and Draft Opens, 18 SCG Invitational slots up for grabs, SCG Players Club benefits, live coverage courtesy of Big Head Joe and I on SCG Live, tons of side events, and as much Magic the Gathering as we can pack into one weekend. So make plans to join StarCityGames.com in D.C., and we'll see you there. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 57 of Yo! MTG Taps. I'm Joey Pasco. And I'm here with Big Head Joe. <laughs> you're, you're there with Big Head Joe? No, I am Big Head Joe. Never mind. I am Big Head Joe. Hi. How's it going? Good call. Good call. Uh, all right. So uh, we got uh, kind of a packed episode. We're going to have uh, later on some interviews that I did in Paris at the Magic Weekend a couple weeks ago. I uh, we talked to Brian Kibler and Patrick Chapin separately, so you'll hear both of those um, pretty much at the end of the episode. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the recent tournaments and uh, and the upcoming Star City Games Open Series in D.C. this weekend. So uh, we're excited. We're going to be doing the commentary for SCG Live, so be sure to tune into that. Yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. I'm super excited. Uh, we're also going to have a, a guest on the show who uh, we'll be calling in a few minutes. Um, but uh, before that, let's... Uh, Talk a little bit about what's happened recently. Congratulations to Gaudenis Vidugaris for his win at Grand Prix Denver this past weekend. Um, also, some great commentary on GG's Live by our fellow podcaster, Robert Martin, the Mimi, who, uh, he, well, he's from Maniscrude Podcast, but like he's been on, oh, he also started Men of Magic Podcast. He's been on Monday Night Magic recently. He's kind of seemingly everywhere now yeah <laughs> pretty awesome he's on another new podcast on uh channel fireball so. that's right yeah hardcast is that right? the hardcast that's what it's called right anyway uh speaking of grand prix denver it was a limited event uh paul chion who uh for those of you who don't know he's a, a former magic pro or i guess you could say he's a magic pro who kind of took a break for a while and uh he came back for the event apparently hadn't even played with the set and made top eight so uh how ridiculous is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was a, it was a fairly notable top eight. The uh, some of the other guys, Brian Kibler, was sick and made top eight. Nice. Um, <laughs> he uh, he was defeated by Martin Juza in the quarterfinals. Um, so obviously Martin also made top eight. And then there was uh, Thomas Pinelli, Eduardo dos Santos Vieira, and uh, James Zorns, who some of you guys might remember from Grand Prix Atlanta, playing the 66-card uh, deck. Uh, J- oh, God, really? Yeah, that's Jay Way. So, uh, and then Owen Turtenwald. I-, I almost forgot about him. He was the guy who d- ended up defeating Chion in the quarterfinals. So uh, for those of you who don't know, which is probably not – Many of you, if you listen um, or follow us on Twitter, I was in Paris uh, for Magic Weekend Paris. Um, it was a ton of fun, as you would expect. I uh, I did a lot of uh, photo coverage for the Player of the Year match, and so I, I posted those photos on IWantMyMTG.com. They're also uh, on our Facebook page. They're amazing photos, Joe. They're so awesome. Thank you. I'm, uh, I-, I had a lot of fun doing it. It was just such a kind of historic thing, and I, I felt like... Yeah, I was there with my girlfriend, and I wanted to be able to balance the time uh, between being there in Paris and spending spending time with her, 
going around Paris, you know, that's, that's a pretty awesome thing to be able to do. Um, and then also be able to get some of the magic coverage in as well, of course. So, um, I decided, well, if there's one thing I definitely want to be there for, it's the player of the year match because it's just, unprecedented. yeah, it's history. Yeah. Basically I I just wanted to make sure I saw the, uh, the player of the year thing. And I plan to be there during the top eight as well and do coverage, but they, uh, they shifted the schedule around, which you guys on the East coast who may have been, uh, watching may have realized like they, they cut out the video coverage of the quarterfinals. There was no, uh, live broadcast of those and what they ended up doing. They did the quarter quarterfinals at 9am Paris time and then didn't have the semifinals until 3pm. So it was like six hours and I had made my, I didn't know they were doing that until that morning. Um, because I guess that what they decided to do was show an edited version of the quarterfinals, like a recap. Here's what happened in the quarterfinals just before the semifinals. But that required them to have the time to shoot and edit the quarterfinals before the semifinals were actually played out. I kind of figured I'd get there during the quarterfinals or at the beginning of the semifinals and then watch until the end, uh, which should have only been a couple of hours. But the the fact that they kind of threw a wrench into things. I was like, wasn't even anywhere near the event site when the, uh, the semifinals and finals happened. And I was having fun being in Paris and I didn't really want to be like, Oh, all right, now I'm going to go, you know, take the train up to the outskirts of Paris where the event was. And, uh, yeah, I was just like, forget it. I, it's no big deal. So. Right. Um, why can't wizards get with the times and just broadcast all day from these events? Like, why do they have to like, only show the semifinals and finals. Like, why couldn't they just show us the quarterfinal matches? I don't understand. I honestly, I have no idea. All I know is it's something to do with budgetary reasons, and I don't know budgetary smudgetary. Right. So I, I can't. I have no idea because I wonder the same thing. Because if you know Star City can do it, why can't Wizards do it? Is it because it was international? Like, is the cost a lot higher because of? them being in Paris and not the United States. But I don't know if that's the reason or not. I don't know what the costs involved are. But I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. don't you think it would be just as easy just to show the quarterfinals matches? Like, people want to see them. People want to see round four, you know? Like, people want to watch these matches. You know, they want to watch them all day. Like, I I, I can't – I don't know. I agree with you. Like, I want to watch this stuff. I don't know what what they're – budget is going towards that, you know, I'm sure there's tons of stuff their budget's going towards, but, you know, it just seems like, it seems like the coverage could really be stepped up. And I know, like, Adam Staborski is kind of uh, valiantly trying to defend Wizards coverage, but I, I kind of, as much as I, like, agree with him, you know, that people are doing the best they can, I also feel like, how come you seem to get better coverage at other, uh, you know, at other events like the Star City events, you know, I, you, you get on Twitter and, uh, you know, while one of those events is going on and you pretty much know what's happening, you know, because the players are tweeting the, uh, you know, Star City is tweeting SCG live is tweeting. And if you want to watch round four, you could just open up your computer and look, but somehow wizards is spending their money elsewhere. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the, uh, the reason is. But it, I think I, – I suspect that Wizards will want to move in that kind of direction. 
and maybe look into that because I think there's a lot of people saying what you're saying and what I'm kind of saying too, which is that you could do better, Wizards, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, now don't get me wrong, you know, Rich and BDM are amazing, you know, and the the coverage that they do show is phenomenal. Yeah, it's it's not about the coverage. It's not about the quality. It's about the lack of quantity. Right, right. exactly. <laughs> we just want more. Yeah. We want more. We want to see more matches. It's the Pro Tour. You know, there, there are four a year if you count Worlds, right? Yeah. So, exactly. like, we only get these four times a year. We want to see this coverage. You know, we want to see these matches. Like, you do a feature match every round. We want to see it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know. If Star City can afford to do it, like, twice a month, why can't Wizards afford to do it three times a year? Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. And so we'll, we'll have to see how things change. I, I think, you know, it's a constantly evolving situation because it, it's kind of a new thing. But it's beautiful. I mean, now we are so spoiled as Magic players. We absolutely are. <laughs> we get live coverage of major tournaments every single weekend just about online and it's unbelievable yeah it's overwhelming and not in a bad way like you know it's creating an insatiable need for this content you know what i mean like right like like we were saying you know it's it's the quality is great we just want more <laughs> you know right yeah uh, so speaking of paris um ben stark won the event with uh, with a call go deck or, or some people are calling it call blade uh essentially it was the uh, it, the call go deck supplemented with Stoneforge Mystics and equipments, uh, sort of feast and famine, sort of body and mind, and uh, even Silvok Life Staff, which it was the uh, innovation against the beatdown decks. Um, I talked a bit to Brian Kibler as soon as I got there. I was actually one of the first people I talked to um, at the end of Standard Day One. I think was the day I spoke to him, or uh, I, I spoke to him for a few minutes, so you'll hear more on that later on. But uh, Ben Stark was playing that list among others, and he ended up winning the event against Paul Rietzel, who was playing Boros. Um, notably, Patrick Chapin also made top eight um, with a Tezzeret list, a very innovative Tezzeret list. Um, <laughs> and ama- I love this list. Like I found myself muttering under my breath when I looked at his deck list. Oh my god, he is a sick man. Uh, it's, a, it's just such a cool list. I love to see the innovation. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, Chapin is the innovator, and he lived up to his name, which yeah. is really awesome. And he worked with some of the French guys over there, like Matignon, who uh, who played the deck in the Player of the Year match. Uh, Brad Nelson actually played the Call Blade, or the Call Go deck, in the Player of the Year match, too, because they had to play their standard decks that they brought for the event. So it's right. interesting to me, like, Pro Tour Paris was all about those two decks. Um, there was another interesting Tezzeret breakout list, uh, although it did not – because Martin Juza, who was playing this particular list, didn't make top eight, um, his list isn't as easily available. Um, I haven't actually seen it since I think I was in Paris. Um, <laughs> but uh, he it's a com- more of a combo deck with Tezzeret and Kuldotha Forge Master. So huh. um, that list – Scotty Mack from uh, the A-Team podcast has been playing with it, and he loves it. Um, it seems like a fun list from what I remember. Like I said, I haven't seen it since uh, last week when I was there. But um, take a look. You know, I guess Google that online. I'll see if I can find a link to um, to it to post in the show notes. But that's another list uh, that you might want to look at. Um, Vincent Lemoy also uh, top-aided. He was playing 
a uh, Boros list, along with uh, Paul Rietzel, who was playing Boros, uh, Nico Boney playing a green-white quest deck with, like, Venge Vines and the, uh, you know, the whole quest package. Yeah. Um, and uh, Tom Martell was playing the Call Go deck as well. And uh, Naoki Nakata was playing a similar version. It was it was kind of a mix between a classic blue-white control and this call-go kind of thing. Like, he had the Stoneforge Mystics, but only two. Um, and he played two Sun Titans in the deck. But otherwise, you know, he, oh, he's got a Venser in there. He's playing Tumble Magnet. So he's he's got a list that kind of is an amalgamation of classic blue-white and this uh, Squadron Hawk Stoneforge Mystic call go kind of package so um pretty interesting and then there's a uh, shintaro ishimura who was playing blue white it's such an awesome list yeah. i just wanted like to jump in here blue white aggro basically <laughs> yeah basically it's running uh four student of warfare four stone forge mystic three mirren crusader and it keeps the squadron hawks in the sideboard yeah. um yeah so- i mean he's got two sort of body mind one sort of feast and famine to search up with the stone forges um, and just beats. It's kind of hilarious, right? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy that a deck like this made it to the top eight. Like, I, I, it just seems like it came out of nowhere. Now, I mean, maybe that's maybe that's me. Now, I can't think of blue-white aggro, you know, as being like, oh, that doesn't seem right. You know, something seems odd about that, and the fact it made top eight just seems out of place. But, you know, it made top eight at a Pro Tour. It's obviously the real deal. At least it was for this particular event. <laughs> Another awesome guy was at the Pro Tour. We're going to give him a call right now. So uh, on the line we have Evan Irwin, uh, Star City Games' own. What's your title now, Evan? My title now is Director of Technology and New Media. Okay, because you were Community Manager at one point. That was how you started at, at uh that, at That's City. correct. Okay. And a couple months in the company, and then like I asked for a bunch of responsibility, and they're like, here you go. So, yeah. <laughs> New new title, I'm in charge of a lot of stuff, but you know it's super fun, so I can't can't complain. Awesome. Neither can we, because you know the things you've done since you've been there have been pretty awesome. So uh, you're about six. <laughs> yeah, I that. You're about six months removed from being uh, getting a promotion to Iron Fisted Dictator, which <laughs> <laughs> ruler of all you see. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. So yeah. Um, this is actually the first time we've had you kind of on the show in this capacity because I think you know I interviewed you on the Magic Cruise and then uh, and then again a little short interview I think at GPDC so um, that's right you know this is kind of cool to actually have you on in more of a uh, maybe less of an interview kind of capacity I guess so sure sure absolutely I'm I'm happy to contribute whenever as long as I can spare some time. Yeah, we, we appreciate um, you were talking that. about the uh, the metagame at this point. Yeah, so uh, the, the metagame in Paris, obviously, um, you know, the, the kind of the big decks that were Boros was in the top eight, and then some blue white uh, call go decks and Chapin's Tesseret list. Um, and then when you when you compare that to Star City Indy a couple weeks ago, that was packed with like aggro decks. So um, you know, we're trying to th- decide, you know, or what do we think as far as how things are going to go in D.C.? Uh, do you have any thoughts sure. on that? Well, I felt like um, Indy basically trailed the way for the aggro decks because I feel like that's what people gravitate to when new sets are released anyway because it's the most easy thing to put together. You're like, all right, what should my one-drop, two-drop, three-drop be, and how do I go up through my curve and blah, blah, blah. So had we not ran Indy, I felt like one of the breakout decks of the Pro Tour would have been Koldotha Red. Now, Koldotha Red sort of already sort of found 
uh, and was already a known quotient at that point, and that's why I feel like it didn't do that well. Uh, if it had been a surprise, it would have felt done a lot better. Now, the Boros deck, um, I was super excited about. I love Hero of Oxid Ridge. I feel like people should play more of that card. I mean, the Kago deck just cannot beat that card. Like, and I said multiple times by different Kago players, they're just like, Hero of Oxid Ridge, I got nothing. You know, like... Yeah. So that, that card just hot decks into the win. But um, with, with the aggro control, now we have, like, essentially the best control deck is probably, you know, the Kago deck. Um, the Tezzeret deck is fantastic. Um, I also feel like uh, another deck that is sort of the combo element that no one talks about is the uh, Martin Juza's uh, Cobalt the Ford Master deck. Yeah, we were just mentioning that, yeah. Completely ridiculous. Like, the, the, I mean, he, he threw down the gauntlet at the Pro Tour. He was like, if I untap with Ford Master, I will never lose. And staring down, you know, like... Three or four Venge Vines, a, you know, a Fauna Shaman, a bunch of Squadron Hawks, a sort of whatever, and untaps a Forge Master and wins that game. Like, you know, I mean, how do you possibly do that? Well, thanks to Blightsteel Colossus, thanks to Mirror Battlesphere, thanks to Mind Slavers, you know, thanks to, uh, you know, all of his, his tricks that he can sort of pull out, you know, all of a sudden he Platinum Imperion, like, how does Agrodex beat that card? You know? They just look at you and go, well, okay then. <laughs> you know, like it's great. So, um, for me, I feel like at this point, the Callblade, you know, the Cogo decks have to figure out how to fight each other and sort of realize how to not make that the most miserable experience of their lives. Um, <laughs> and trying to eke out, you know, the absolute last squadron hog carrying the absolute sword. Like, whoever hits with the sword first normally just wins that game because the advantage you get when you untap your lands and play all new spells is too much. Um, but, you know, at this point, I'm looking at um, battling this weekend, and I totally, totally love Tezzeret, but I feel like the other way to go um, is with white, so it's more of an Esper, essentially, build, mm-hmm. um, as you have all the fixing in the world uh, between the prismatic lens, no, the prismatic... Uh, uh, prophetic prism. prism, yeah. Prophetic Prism, which was, I think, like, the key. Like, as soon as I saw that card, I'm like, oh, my God, like... Obviously, the answer it burns through your deck, but I felt like the other half was the Eco Delta Forge Master from Juza. Mm-hmm. But you know, also Chapin showed you what you can do with three colors, how you can really stretch your mana base to make almost anything happen uh, in the Tezzeret deck that you want to happen. And of course, it plays along well with Chase, which is nice too. So I don't know what I want to play. I know that. Um, I've seen an incredibly awesome Cadolta red list from Michael Posgay. Michael Posgay is a well-known deck builder, been around the PT for a long time now, and he uses stuff like Mirror Sires in the sideboard and uh, and uh, Perilous Mirrors because that just, you know, makes people suffer with uh, Slag Storms and Wrath of Gods. Like, okay, sure, Wrath my stuff, they just come back. You know, like, yeah. who's who's putting Mirror Sire in their sideboard? But like the absolute cutting edge tech people, and that's that's for people. You know, I look to Lewis Laskin. You know, I look to Drew Levin. I look to uh, Michael Posgay for for ideas like that. You know, I wouldn't be putting mirror sires and cool both the red sideboards. You know, like that's crazy. So yeah, I, I love that type of stuff. But I feel like at this point, the the battle of the control decks is Tesseract versus Kago. Um, Valakut is still a thing, and I feel like that's sort of the the push right now uh, in terms of the top two and. Tezzeret is is also easily hated out, and I feel like that's one of the strengths of the development design. Was they're like, all right, this planeswalker is totally sweet, but anytime you put in a few more, you know, like the new Shatterstorm, the Creeping Corrosion, um, or the Into the Core, or whatever, you know, or a couple more Divine Offerings, like that deck actually has a hard time winning. Um, but so, so that's sort of almost a known quantity. It's almost like the Cadolta Red before the Pro Tour. Now that the Tezzeret deck is known, it's easily hated, so it's probably not the best choice. Um, my guess is that if you're going aggro, find an awesome Cold Ocean Red list or the green-white quest list is 
unreal. Like I thought, you know, Nico Boniface was fantastic. You know, Vengevine is still a great card. You know, don't yeah. forget about that card. Um, but uh, the Cargo decks, I think, are, you know, the way to go. Like, at this point, we just need another piece of technology for the mirror that's beyond Divine Offering. And, um, you know, maybe a couple more ways to, uh, to eke out card advantage versus Planeswalkers. You know, maybe more, maybe something like, ah, man, where's Oblivion Ring when you need it? <laughs> <laughs> Oblivion Ring would just be the stone blade in that deck. Um, but, you know, it's all good. I mean, I, I, I love those those deck options at this point. You know, I feel like your aggro options are going to go through Red and Green Mind Quest. Your control options are Cargo and uh, and the Tezzeret options. And Tezzeret being both the Chapin version and the Juza version. Do not forget about Godotha Forge Master. That card will destroy you if you let them untap with it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because uh, I was having a discussion with a couple guys a couple days ago about uh, why Valakut and Rug didn't show up at the Pro Tour. And I, and I was saying it's pretty much because they were known quantities. And if you look at the top eight, it, they were decks that weren't – most of the decks weren't exactly known quantities. It was, uh, you know, the, the Tezzeret list that Chapin came up with, and that's the first time anybody really had a, a winning Tezzeret list. And then uh, – sure. The the cargo list, which people knew about, but it had this entirely different element with with Stoneforge Mystic and the equipment. So, you know, I want to say I kind of think maybe Rug is going to show up again. And uh, when everybody's trying to prepare for these Tezzeret lists and these Callblade lists and, uh, you know, even Koldotha Red lists, um, although the one deck that I think maybe worth looking at if you're an aggro player uh, is Boros because yeah. it, it was a known quantity before – the pro tour and it still ended up doing really well at the pro tour. You know, it made the, the top two with uh Rietzel. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, let's, let's not forget that Rietzel is like a stone cold master. Like that's true. <laughs> it is ridiculously good at magic. Like, I mean, the boy top 32, the GP and was forced to take two losses because he was in top eight of the PT. Like, are you serious? Like, <laughs> yeah. Feel like, do you breathe oxygen? Like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> It's unbelievable. So yes, but but with that said, like I thought, um, Vincent uh, Lemoine or Lemon, like he, he, the way he says his name, I will never figure it out. Yeah, I'm um, not sure either. Anyway, the, the, the Belgian, God bless him. Uh, he he, I thought had a fantastic build. I felt his was almost like sort of the next step. It had things like a Bone Horde in it, that you know, Bone Horde and Mirror and Crusader that uh, Rietzel had. I think just a little bit of. And I don't think Rietzel was actually running the Bone Horde yet either. Um, but, you know, I feel like between those two lists, you can find a really great aggro list. I thought, you know, for me, Boros is a, is it's too much all in. But, like, if you're an aggro player, like, obviously, I mean, just watch Rietzel just, I mean, he mowed the five in game one of that finals and still won that game. You know, there's so many people who, when they'll play an aggro deck and go to five, they just auto slump, auto just give up the match. You know, you can't do that. And Rietzel shows you how it's done. You know, I, I love watching people who are really good at aggro matchups or aggro decks. You know, just get there, you know, when other people would just be like, well, I'm bone, you know, Moldify versus Callblade, you know, on the draw, screwed. So I thought that was, you know, that was brilliant. And the Boros decks are definitely something to watch out for. I feel like this metagame is brilliant. I feel like we can say, you know, Rug is being forgotten, and then there's this Boros thing, and there's this awesome Cordova thing, and then, so, you know, somebody's going to have to come up with the red-green Infect deck that was played at the Pro Tour. I mean, <laughs> someone's going to get a fault strobed, like, you know, ground swelled out of, you know, the open series in D.C. Like, it's going to happen. Yeah. Some guy's going to get destroyed by that. And you can't prepare for everything. And right. you have tools for everything. And, I feel, you know, like, the way this metagame is sort of shaped up, the way they have sort of fixed the Valakut problem by giving you all these other tools and all these other options, it's not just Valakut versus the world anymore. 
And I think that's great. You know, I feel like we're in this, we're sort of in the, the same zone of what happened when M10 was released and Ferries was everywhere, was once Great Sable Stag and some other options were in the format, like that stopped becoming the default deck. And, right. you know, five-color control and Ferries wasn't just the end-all be-all anymore. And this time around, I feel like they've done an even better job at even in the format, you know, even more so where you can just pick a deck you like. You don't, you know, you don't have to run Jace. You know, I feel like that's part of the stigma of the format at this point is that Jace is this $100 card, so we have to run it in every deck, but, you know, not every deck has to run it. And retail obviously gets there with agri-creatures and so do other people. So, yeah. I, I, it's I, it's I, nice I, to, not be, to not have that crutch of Jace. You know, I'm, really, either. I'm really appreciative of the fact that we're, no, we're slowly moving away from Battlecruiser magic, although if the standard deck I'm working on is <laughs> works at all. Uh, I'm moving myself firmly back into battle cruisers, but um, nice. at least for a while, like you know, it was just do- like the, the format was just dominated by the Titans, and it seems yeah, I like feel the Titans have to rotate, and the and the Eldrazi have to rotate before we sort of get past the battle cruiser moniker. Yeah, right. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, as long as they're around, that'll they'll always be a threat, but. It just seems like yeah. there are a lot more options right now, and the format's a little more wide open than just resort like relying on those, which is a good thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, you can, for example, like on CubeDrafting.com, I had uh, you know created my list of cards I was testing from here to the seas, and then somebody come in the comments like, "Hey, you forgot like these other eight cards," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I forgot like the Crusaders, and you know, there's like some some neat." Uh, uncommon and common options that I just completely forgot about. The this set is just absolutely constructed bonkers. Like it has so many different tools. I mean, like lead the stampede. Like no one's playing with that card yet, and that card <laughs> is unbelievable card advantage for green. Like they have literally never pushed it that far, and people have just not even played with that card yet. I mean, you know, like the format is so open. It is brilliant. I just I love what the stage did to the meta game. Yeah, I mean, it may be me having a short memory, but I feel like there, I don't really remember any set having as much of an impact as Besieged seems to be having. Right, it's been a long time. I mean, you know, because it was one thing for, for World Wake, you know, World Wake was absolutely constructed all-star yeah. set that no one really respected, and I feel Besieged is a constructed all-star set that people have immediately respected. They've immediately latched up onto, you know, Sphere of the Suns, Tezzeret, whatever, Ink Moth Nexus stuff, and Brain Sun Zenith, and the Black Sun Zenith. I mean, like, the good cards just go on and on and on. So, yeah, and, and a lot of it is not like these all be all. You know, it's not just like a Jace and everything else. And it's it's a bunch of role players. And I love when you know developing design sort of go in there surgeon style and just like you know the metagame needs this card and the metagame needs this card. I feel like we're to the point in Magic where you know cards are a lot about sort of what they do and the roles they fill versus like the name versus like how they fit in this world. You know, for me, I'm I'm not a Vorthos, so I just love seeing cards that do different things and how they all interact together. It's like a big clockmaker machine, essentially. Yeah. And they're really good at making the gears turn these days. Yeah, I mean, I think they've they've definitely shifted away from focusing um, on the the flavor aspect, I think, of a lot of things. I mean, obviously, this deck, I mean, this set oozes with flavor as well, but... And they're firing on all cylinders, but, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like, you know, R&D has, has finally been like, okay, this is our job, awesome surgical tools that do certain things. And then, you know, a brand, you know, comes in and goes, okay, let's make this story matter and does this, you know, mirrored and besieged and who wins the war and Frickson versus Mirren thing. And R&D's like, okay, great, but let's get some really great cards that fix the format. You know? And it's it's funny you should mention the, the word surgical because the uh, 
the buy a box promo for Mirrodin Pure or New Phyrexia is called Surgical Extraction. Uh, <laughs> so maybe maybe that just says uh, look through target player's deck, remove all Jace the Mind sculptors and anything with the word <laughs> Titan in it. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad that the joke isn't there anymore. The joke is just like, you know, the course of the format is perfectly balanced. You can play any Titan you want. You know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we're not there anymore. It's really sweet that you can go, well, you, know, you can also signal fast into three Ornithopters and kill you on turn three. You know, like, yeah, it's fun too. It's pretty scary playing against some of those aggro decks. You, you know, you feel like you feel like you're one turn away. From, you're like, all right, I got the win. As long as he doesn't win this turn, oh, he did. Uh, you know? <laughs> nice goblin guy. You know, Petering Peaks. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. I was talking to Joe about this. Um, the timing of Pro Tour Paris and card availability. The fact that these, you know, last year it happened with San Diego, and this year it's Paris, where the second set comes out, and just a week later is a Pro Tour, um, and. Yeah. Does this affect the tournament in maybe a negative way? Are there players out there forced to play like suboptimal cards that they otherwise wouldn't have played because they couldn't, for example, get their fourth Tezzeret or something? Um, I mean, mm, it's probably a small percentage, but I feel like that may that may be an issue with um, those who were playing at Indy the week before right. and that, that we held the the open at. And I mean, that was on purpose. Like we know what we're doing. Like we. We, we want everyone to be excited about prestige. We also want everyone to sort of try out the format before Pro Tour. And again, like I said, if uh, I feel like Adulta Red would have been a huge Pro Tour monster deck had it not you know been an indie the week beforehand. Yeah, so I agree. It became a known quantity, and then everyone modified. So the week after, you're going into a Pro Tour. So if you are one of the lucky 400-ish competitors vying for $40,000, you can get any card necessary. Like I feel like the, these are not boundaries, you know, that you have anymore. You know, if you've if you've worked hard enough to get on the tour, you can you certainly know enough people or have earned enough money to get your own cards necessary. Right. Um, I feel like most of it is time management. Who did the most time? Who had the best testing team? Who who really utilized you know the the small window that you had to to put the best cards as possible into the decks you were using? So. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I don't feel like it's yeah, I don't feel like it's a good excuse basically. Like if you're if you're complaining about card availability, it's like, dude, you're on the pro tour. Like, are you serious? <laughs> I mean Would it come on now. F and M fine. Like Pro Tour, not no excuses are necessary at that level. What's the phrase? Uh stop bitch and start brewing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got it in there. Yes. Nice. Yes. So uh you're fine for a lot of money. Like forty million dollars are being given away. Don't get janky. Right. <laughs> cool. So, uh, I mean, I, Evan, I don't want to keep you on the line too long. I don't know uh, how much time you actually have. So uh, we, we appreciate you giving us a few minutes, um, and we will look forward to seeing you on Saturday uh, or maybe Friday night um, in D.C. And uh, did, anything you wanted to uh, to mention, like to pimp out, you know, shout out or anything? <laughs> Uh, well, at this point, you know, like we are, uh, we're working. We, we released the second half of the schedule for the Open Series. Uh, yeah. which totally, our first date is going to be at Invesco Field, you know, also known as Mile High Stadium in Denver. Like we're literally going to be like a couple hundred feet from field itself. You're not playing on the grass, but you know, you're close. And so that's just like a cool venue. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. this random place. Like the the Denver Outlaws, which is the lacrosse team, called us up and said, you know, hey, like we play Magic, you should have a Magic event here. And so wow. next thing you know, oh, that's so like, cool. Yeah, no, like, it's insane. And I'm just like, apparently, you know, I'm gonna be able to develop a, a short commercial for the Jumbotron, and I'm like, really? 
Like, That's you know, like this, awesome. Tennessee, this Tennessee boy got to grow up and put his work on the jumbotron. Like, really? Like, <laughs> that I is want so awesome. To, like, take a picture. You know what I mean? Like, I want to see my work on a jumbotron. Like, are you kidding me? That's I'm oh super God. geeking out over that. So oh, I yeah. just thought that was brilliant. And, <laughs> you know, so and we're getting there. And I also love how, uh, you know, if you look at the Open Series, uh, I think people are really getting into the grinding aspect, and I love that. You know, I love how some people have half as many or more points than they had, you know, six months in last year versus two months in now. You know, I mean, Burton Cheney's got, what, 30-something points? You know, and he got a, a total of almost 70 last year. So we're two months in. I definitely think we're going to find level eights. You know, I'm excited that the program's taken off, and uh, an SCG Live obviously is going to be rocking with uh, with you guys, as I understand it, isn't it? Uh, this weekend in D.C.? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Oh, it's going to be so sick. We're so excited. I'm totally loving SCG Live. Totally proud of the guy of, of the work that you guys do and guys put in. I know Big Head Joe, this is your first run out. So, uh, so you know, and I'm sure you'll do great. I have all the confidence in the world. And, no pressure. Um, <laughs> no pressure at all. And and. Yeah. and- I just want to mention that the uh, the next event after Denver, Colorado, is in our backyard, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, June 25th and 26th, which is very exciting. I, yeah. I, I was thinking I was going to have to, like, try to use some of my uh, coverage team power to be like, hey, you know, you guys, you know, Baltimore's a great location. You should really come back there. But I guess I don't have to. Oh, my God. Baltimore, October 22nd and 23rd also. Yeah. I love oh, you guys. Yeah. We love Baltimore. Baltimore's fantastic. So I'm, yeah, you, and we've got even more cool stuff. Like there's stuff I'm working on every day I can't even talk about. You know what I mean? Like, but when we talk about it, it will be totally awesome. Random teaser stuff. Uh, I, I just, I'm still in my dream job. I'm still loving it. I'm still making the magic show. The new show is up from uh, from Paris right now on StarCityGames.com. By the time you hear this, episode two should be up as well. And uh, you know, I'm just, I'm working every day in magic, and like you, you literally, I mean, every day, like I pinch myself. I'm like, a card game brought me here. You know, it's like, <laughs> awesome. This is me in high school playing this game, never imagining that my livelihood, like I'm raising children on the back of magic, you know, <laughs> like I can help my friends. I can give my friends work. Like we can do all this cool stuff. I mean, you know, this is, this is nuts. So, yeah. So thank you guys for your time. And, uh, and I love the show and, um, you know, we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much, Evan. Uh, we'll see you this weekend. All right, guys. Take care. Right, you too. Take it easy. Bye-bye. So yeah, as Evan mentioned, we have the second half of star city open series 2011, um, which, where did you get those dates from? Um, straight from the, the 2011 Open Series link on Star City. Okay. Like, they uh, just added them all onto the schedule, so. Pretty awesome. Two events in Baltimore. One in Seattle. I want to go to that one. We got, oh, <laughs> man. We got to go to Seattle. Oh, my God. So, Joe, you mentioned with Evan uh, the uh, the Battle Cruiser Magic deck that you're building. Why don't you talk about that? Oh, yeah. just I'm, I'm basically just working on a version of Blue-White Eldrazi right now. Um because I feel like there are a lot of control decks going around and like playing in the blue white mirror match was not fun, but blue white is a really strong color combination right now. And I don't want to go away from it. So I figure if I build a deck that kind of trumps the other blue white decks, I won't have to be mired in mirror match hell. So, (laughs) um, so that's kind of the idea behind it is I want to play around with a blue white Eldrazi build. Um, so what happened? You were working on shape anew last time we talked so what's the deal with that? You didn't it didn't really uh-huh. work the way you wanted it to? It worked okay. I mean, it when it when it happened and I was good, it was a blowout because it was awesome to be able to go 
you know, to play out a Jace before my opponent could. If I had a Jace on board when I cast Shape anew, it's game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if, I mean, they could journey it or something, but I mean, it's pretty much game. If they don't have a way, if they can't play Jace and bounce it or journey it, you know, then they pretty much can't do anything. Um, but the problem I was having was in testing the deck, I kept thinking like, man, you know, this is running like a control deck. I like wish I had this slot for this card and I wish I had this slot. And it turned into like 10 slots that I wanted. Yeah, you said this on the uh, Force Spikes podcast, which yeah. you, you were on uh, episode number 16. I think you were saying you felt like you were playing blue-white control with uh, with this extra little package in there. But you found that like you would, were wishing for certain cards that you had to cut to fit that package in. Right, so basically the 10 cards that I wanted to add to the deck fit into the Shape of New Packages slots. So I just kind of took it out. Plus, I had been talking about it and actively trading for these cards at FNM and the launch party and the pre-release for like the last three weeks. So I figured I'd throw a wrench in things by just playing straight blue-white control. <laughs> right because on. no one expected it. Everyone would be hanging back waiting for the for the combo to hit, and it would just never hit. I know, it's funny. I was, I was uh, trying to uh, – I mean, and this was just, you know – casual you know your birthday party we were just it was a game night so i I was uh building a deck for it and i was like these are the cards i need sort of feast and famine slag storm and people are like well wait a minute those two aren't in you know slag sort of feast and famine isn't in chapin's deck and uh slag storm isn't in cargo what is he building you know like no i'm just building both decks (laughs) like i was thinking it looks kind of like I'm trying to build some kind of crazy, you know, Boros deck or something, you know. <laughs> um, but no, I was just building both decks. But so, so that's actually what I wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, I played with the Tezzeret list, Chapin's Tezzeret list, and um, you'll hear him later mention about how he feels like that that deck was great for that event because it was an unknown quantity. But he feels like it should change a lot afterwards now that people are expecting it. And um, I don't know. Uh, primarily, I'm sure the reason for my opinion is I'm probably playing it wrong. I barely played it. You know, I played less than 10 games with it so far, um, maybe 10 games. And um, my opinion of it is kind of negative. Now, like I said, I think I'm playing it wrong um, still. Uh, it's it, What it seems like is it's great when you get a nice mix of cards, but there's so many times when I'm going... I I just feel like I'm drawing so many do-nothings. Like, I need an answer, and I'm going, oh, Sphere of the Suns. Uh, all right, survive this next turn. All right, I need an answer. Oh, Prophetic Prism. Okay, so I can play this and draw a card, play the draw, uh, Everflowing Chalice. Come on, you know, like, or yeah. land or, or whatever. It was just, I, I'm sitting there waiting for a threat or an answer. Like, I need Slagstorm or Pyroclasm or Tezzeret or Jace, and it's like... <laughs> I'm I'm drawing artifact, you know, mana and and land, and it's it's just it feels like I'm playing 45 land and 15 spells, and it's like that that kind of situation came up multiple times, and I felt like it, the threat density was an issue, or threat slash answer density was right. an issue for me, and like I said, I could probably I know I was playing it wrong at first. Chapin even says it's more of an aggro control deck, and probably even more leaning towards aggro than control. And my instinct is to almost always be playing control style. So the first couple games I played, I was making mistakes because I wasn't being aggressive enough. Um, but that said, like when you you know you're sitting there, I only played against Boros. I played against Boros and a Dredgevine list that Noyan was playing. Um, so not exactly 
uh, well, well, the Dredgevine list is not exactly something that that deck is necessarily built for, <laughs> uh, built for playing against, but, uh, but what is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is built like, for playing like, against that damn deck? Right. Uh, cards from circa September, 2010, like <laughs> basically. So, uh, no, um, but it, I, I felt the same way. Now I, I know I, I don't think you and I have really had much conversation about Paris, but when I was there, um, I was hanging out with Chapin while he tested for his quarterfinals matchup. It was on Saturday. So, uh, you know, his matchup was the next day. He had Saturday off. He was spending the whole day testing. Um, and he was testing with, uh, with Kyle Bogamus, who was playing Rietzel's list so that, uh, so that Chapin, Chapin could get a handle on the matchup. Um, I mean, Chapin's deck has main deck, two slag storms, two pyroclasms, and then two more pyroclasms out of the sideboard, a ratchet bomb in the sideboard. Um, so he's got like a number of sweepers plus, uh, galvanic blasts to play with. So it seems like he's built to handle those decks. But when I was watching, uh, watching him test, I think maybe I saw him play five games and he may have won two. Um, and I felt like I was watching him do the same thing that I just described where he's going, all right, I need an answer. Sphere of the Suns, not an answer. You know, like it was just, he kept digging and it was just, he was finding like lands and artifact mana and like, okay, he'd finally find an answer. But by that point, his opponent, you know, Boros had put out two more threats. So, so it's like, great. You know, like this didn't, doesn't help. Now I can slag storm. Uh, but you know, he's got, uh, an equipment on his guy now that makes it bigger, you know, like ma- makes it survive the slag storm or something. I mean, that was just a kind of a gen- generic example, but that's what it seemed like to me. And I was a little bit worried thinking, I don't know if he's going to be able to beat Rietzel in the quarterfinals. And it turns out I was right. He lost three Oh to Rietzel. Now, according right. to, uh, I was talking to Lloyd and Mark about that and they say Rietzel drew like a God. That was the <laughs> the quote that, uh, that Lloyd said where he, he felt like Rietzel really didn't have a good matchup against Chapin, but he just happened to have the cards that he needed to make it a good matchup. Hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to question Chapin exactly. I'm just telling you my opinion after playing the deck again, probably wrong, probably making a lot of mistakes. Um, but I played around a little bit with the call go deck and that feels a lot more comfortable to me. So maybe it's my play style too, but, uh, I, yeah, I, th- I think that uh, probably has a lot to do with it too, but I'm super excited about playing with Tezzeret. I just, uh, I'm curious. I'm actually really excited to see what other kind of Tezzeret lists come out. Hopefully this weekend, at DC, like maybe some of the modifications, maybe people playing Chapin's list and taking it to the next level because, uh, to adjust for a metagame that may now be kind of, uh, it may be a, a target now that it's a known quantity. Sure. Do you think we'll see Tezzeret in, uh, the legacy open? I think we could. I think, I mean, I, how sick would he be in affinity? I mean, I just feel yeah. like you drop him in affinity and you win. Like if he right. resolves, you, you, I mean, you need to, you need him to survive a turn. You need to plus one him, and then uh, and then for him to survive the turn. But if if he does, and you ultimate Tezzeret in in Legacy, I would think you would win. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> the problem is, do you you know w- what does he replace? He's not. He doesn't have affinity for artifacts. <laughs> you know. Right. You can't drop him for free. Four. Yeah. Yeah. He's actually going to cost mana, and. Um, but it would be interesting, and I would love to see even just some legacy Tezzeret list that just 
you know, it doesn't have to be an affinity list. It's just uh, some kind of Tezzeret artifact control list. Of course, I wanted to be control. Um, yes. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. Um, so as far as the metagame, that's the metagame predictions. We now know about Tezzeret and Call Go. I fully expect people to be playing some sort of modification of those lists because Stark won with that list. Of course, multiple people were playing with it. Um, I expect Valakut and Rug to kind of make an impact because now that people are adjusting their lists to deal with Kago and Tezzeret, they're more vulnerable to Valakut and Rug, which were, you know, the, some pretty heavy hitters um, now, before Val- the Pro Tour. Now, Blue white and blue black both run their respective man lands, yeah. Yeah. So why is cutting spreading seas from those lists a good idea, or even something people might be doing? Well, spreading seas was cut from the uh, call go list to make room for the the Stoneforge Mystic and equipment package. Oh right, right. So That's- I mean, you need to cut something if you're going to add something. So they. They figured that that was that was a good idea. Um, Kibler, I believe, mentions that in my short interview with him. Um, as far as with blue black control, I mean, is blue black control around right now? I mean, is Tezzeret's not really blue blue black? It's Grixis, and it's not really a that's true. It's yeah. really a completely different kind of deck. It just happens to have blue and black in it, and Jace the Mind Sculptor. But it's not it's not anything like the uh, the blue black control list that came out of Worlds. Um, that list, I guess. I would think would still run spreading seas if people are are toying around with that. Um, I assume those l- lists aren't running Tezzeret unless they're cutting a lot to uh, put in some artifacts. Um, Smitty of 60cards.com has been working on a, uh, an Esper Tezzeret list himself. Oh, so nice. uh, uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I know he mentioned it. Um, so he, I think basically I said, what's the white for? He said Gideon and Day of Judgment. So um, Nice. I like the fact that Pat Chapin kind of paved the way for people to start considering three colors in standard again. I mean, not like people didn't with Rug and Bug, but those had a lot of, like, Lotus Cobra things to really help it out, you know? Yeah. It's, like, uh, outside of just the mana base. Um, now, as far as, like we were saying with the metagame, uh, I think Kuldatha Red is still a quantity. Boros and the green-white list, all, all these things we just kind of talked about with Evan. Um, the, the aggro lists are there. There's plenty of right. uh, aggro versions. So, you know, where's uh, – w- what about Flores's Genesis Wave deck? I wonder if, if there's going to be some players going, you know what? This deck is still good. Yeah. Not a shot. Well, Speed? I mean, with people main-decking Spell Pierce, though, like, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, four main-deck Spell Pierces in Calgo. So, uh Speaking of Flores, though, have you heard uh, whispers of, of what he's working on? No, I have not. If you look at his uh, his article on Star City this past week, people have been asking him, like, why haven't you been blogging much about magic recently? And he said, well, he's been really writing more about magic than any other point in his life because he's working on a project that uh, I don't know that – I don't want to share too much of what I know, but it's basically Flores's um, – Flores is kind of following in the vein of next level magic. Let's say that. Um, although he's wow. got something of a twist on it, it it's it's really it's something really interesting. And yes, I actually have seen some of it. And uh, I have to just say, OMG, that's uh, yeah, that's my uh, that's my official statement. 
no, it's super cool. I'm super excited about it, and um, and I think you guys should just kind of be super excited about it too. Um, and I, I believe he's shooting for April for the uh, the release date. Um, another article we wanted to mention by uh, Luke Sonier, who wrote an article for Mana Nation. He's got a column called Cast Through Time. Uh, he wrote an article. Basically, his column is about podcasts. And uh, he, he wrote a cool article uh, introducing a bunch of different podcasts to those people who don't listen. Um, we wouldn't think it was a cool article if he had anything bad to say about us. That's true. But he said some very good things about <laughs> us, among other, you know, all the other awesome podcasts out there. So yeah. uh, thanks, Luke, for including us on that. And I believe Luke uh, did something else that was pretty cool. Yes, uh, Luke sent me a foil bajuka bog for my EDH deck, which is really awesome. Um, so, thank you very much. I really appreciated that. That was a pleasant surprise in my mailbox at one in the morning on Saturday because I was letting Tim out, and apparently we forgot to check our mail. So, uh, <laughs> was that so a- was that a birthday gift? I guess. Yeah, it says happy. He left me a little happy birthday note. So I guess I have to let you all know that you should follow him on Twitter at Luke Sonier, Luke L U K E S O N N I E R. There, free Twitter plug for Luke. Yeah, Luke's article, Luke's, Luke's column is actually about podcasts. It's sort of a this week in magic column for podcasts. So like you can kind of go read his column every week and go, oh, what did they talk about? Oh, EDH, I don't care, you know, or whatever, you know, the Pro Tour. Awesome. I want to listen to this. That kind of thing. We have uh, some upcoming events. Star City Games Open Series, Washington, D.C. this weekend, February 26th and 27th. Should be uh, pretty awesome. The SCG Live commentary for that. Those commentators, I think, will be some pretty cool guys, I hope. Yeah, and uh, they also may or may not have worm tokens with their image. Oh, yeah. Um, Thank you for mentioning that. So we got these awesome business cards with art by Inkwell Looter of uh, the Worm Coil tokens. We've got a Death Touch token, which is Big Head Joe, and a Lifelink token. That's right, <laughs> Lifelink token, which is me, um, which I didn't insist, but that was the one I would have chosen. So it worked out pretty well. Um, we're excited just because, you know, hey, cool, we have our faces on tokens, and uh, if people keep playing Worm Coil Engine, then uh, you guys can use these awesome tokens when people kill your Worm Coil Engine. And if you are, if you live under a rock or something, then you wouldn't know that um, inkwellluter.blogspot.com is where you can find his uh, amazing art. So if you guys want warm tokens, send us an email with your address. We'll ship some off to you. Uh, same goes for stickers, as always. So uh, the week after DC, next weekend, we have Star City Open Series hits Edison, New Jersey. And then the following week, Star City comes to Memphis, where we're, we're doing the coverage again. Yeah. So we're both in Memphis. I'm in Dallas the week after that. But uh, yeah, so, so a bunch of Star City events coming up in the next month. So that's all we have for this week. We are Yo MTG Taps. Stop bitches, stop brewing. This is Joey Pasco here at Magic Weekend Paris with uh, with Hall of Famer Brian Kibler. I literally just walked in and I'm kind of not sure what's going on. Ran into Brian. He kind of told me what was happening for him. So, uh, how you doing so far? Uh, I'm not not bad. Uh, I was a little disappointed only finishing three and two in the standard portion. Uh, I won my first draft round and I have a pretty good deck. So, uh, you know, hopefully I can I can just rattle off two more wins and go into tomorrow in decent shape. Yeah. So one of the questions I was going to ask you if I ran into you 
was what do you think about the chances of Call Go in this post-Besiege standard? But then I heard you're playing Call Go, a, a modified version of it. So tell us about that. Oh, fu- yeah, funny you should mention that. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, the, the, deck that, the deck that I'm playing, as well as a number of other uh, sort of American pros, mm-hmm. uh, is a Cargo deck that replaces it replaces the, the Spreading Seas from the previous version, as well as the, the Elspeths from the main deck, mm-hmm. uh, with a Stoneforge Mystic package. Uh, the sort of Feast and Famine from the new set, I think, is quietly just the best card in Mirrodin Besieged. Because it allows it allows a Stoneforge deck. You, you can play basically a, a more or less a fish deck. Mm-hmm. Because you have Stoneforge Mystic, who's sort of like your Aether Vial for your, your your equipment. That your equipment your equipment on that creature will single handedly win the game against a lot of decks, and it will let you keep untapping your land to keep counter mana up and attrition their hand. So it's actually it's it's pretty unbelievable. Uh, if you play a turn two Mystic against most decks, you almost always win against against basically any control deck Valakit. Right. Like it's it's really sort of you know your trump card. Uh, LSV was saying it's your bitter blossom. It's just so powerful that the games that you have it early, uh, you have just such a high, such a you know, greater chance of winning. The deck's a little bit soft against the aggro decks game one. We do have a Silvok Life Staff to search for with our Stoneforge Mystics, which is a sweet one that uh, David Ochoa thought of the other night. Uh, and our sideboard is heavily dedicated to beating aggro. So it, we, I think it's one of the best decks I've played in a long time. So what uh, what decks did you lose to, or what kind of what, what were those situations? Uh, I lost to Raphael Levy playing a green white quest deck, mm-hmm. uh, which was I, I lost game one. Game one pretty bad there. Mm-hmm. He had turn one quest, and the deck can't really do anything about that. Right. Uh, game two, he actually had turn two active quest, and uh, interestingly, I won that one uh, because right. uh, I, I divine offering his Argentum armor, and then just wrapped away his board, and you know pretty much just. Uh, Crushed him. Right. In game three, unfortunately, he was in the he was in the play. Uh, had a fairly fast draw with some bench vines. My draw was a little slow, and I was one mana short of being able to uh, play the bane slayer that I drew off my preordain oh, yeah. before I died. So, bane slayer would have helped a heck of a lot there against, against uh, vine. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Elspeth was a card I know that you had talked a lot about. You really liked Elspeth back, you know, just a couple yeah. weeks ago before Meriden Besiege, of course. Um, as a card you liked a lot, and you said you cut them from the main deck. You're still playing an Elspeth in the sideboard uh, or two? Or? I have one Elspeth by sideboard. I think the value of Elspeth go- went down a lot with this particular version, mm-hmm. uh, because and, and also just some of the shifts in the metagame, because mm-hmm. a lot of the, the Valakit decks have Lotus Cobra now, so it's a lot less, it's, it's a lot less uh, powerful to be able to just play out an Elspeth and take it up, because they can just attack with their Lotus Cobra. Right. Uh, also, the deck, the deck no longer has Spreading Seas, so it's very dangerous to, let your, to tap out and let your opponent resolve a Titan. So... Elspeth loses a lot of value there too. Okay. Uh, it's still the best card against vampire decks and one of your best cards against a lot of the creature decks. Though it's uh, we, we, we sort of split Elspeth and Bane Slayer in the sideboard, you know, because Bane Slayer is a card that can just win you, you know, games from situations that are completely ridiculous, like against elf decks that have all sorts of crazy stuff going yeah. on. Oh, we'll have a Bane Slayer. Good luck. Right. And Bane Slayer's, you know, she's. Kind of felt bad for her. She hasn't been really seeing much play. B- Bane Slayer is one of my other favorite cards. So, uh, but it, you know, not just playing as a pet card. It's actually really good. So, are, are you playing any more equipment uh, in the sideboard, or is it just the the package in the main? Yeah, deck? we have we have a sort of body in mind in the sideboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, the sort of feast and famine is often just good enough to win you the, the game one. Uh, sort, sort of body in mind gives you both an extra equipment against decks that may duress or inquisition your equipment, right. uh, as well as just giving your future uh, future mystics more value. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you draw a mystic after you've already fetched up one equipment, right. you, know, you, still have, you still have some action with it. One of the things that I really like about the deck uh, is that your your plan with mystic against Valakit mm-hmm. uh, actually trumps what most of their cyber plans are. The the cyber plan of Thrun, which most of the Valakit decks right. have against control decks, you have pro green guys, yeah. and if you have both swords, you're making a 2-2 to block every turn. Yeah. So you, you really are just naturally positioned very well against them with these cards that are in your deck because they're already awesome. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, 
So you lost to the green white deck, and I, I don't think I, you mentioned your other loss. I, I actually lost. I lost to a Valka deck. Okay. Uh, he he was in play one game and had Cobra into Harrow Expedition into Harrow Titan. <laughs> okay. So I just I just got demolished that game. Yeah. And then I kept uh, a reactive hand game two, uh, with some spell pierces and counters, and he played turn two Cobra into turn three Thrun. And I didn't draw a Mystic or, or Day in time to really stave off the bleeding. So right. I, I think in general Valakut is you know a pretty good matchup. But I mean, it's probably the deck that I least want to play against, just because it's a deck that can always beat you. It's just able to do such powerful things, and right. you're never they're, they're never really locked out of it because they have so many different angles they can attack you from. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good deck, and it's been around for a while too. It, so I mean, you know, not surprising. It's 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 still performing well here. Yeah. So, so uh, you you're okay. You won in the draft portion, right? Yep. Uh, how many more rounds do we have? There are that? there are two more rounds today. So okay. uh, so my hope is to win both of them. Right. Of course. Uh, yeah. If I win <laughs> one of them, I'm in day two. So yeah. hopefully hopefully I'm not with my back against the wall or anything. Hopefully I'm, I'm in good shape. <laughs> Great. Um, your draft deck. You said it was kind of a more of a. It's it's okay. Uh, it's 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 not great. It's a a, a, a solid infect deck. Mm-hmm. I don't really have much in the way of removal. I have you know a good curve and I have some ways to sort of punch through later in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have three different proliferate cards. I have a Contagion class, the Throne of Geth, and a Plague Mob Beast, which can you know, get you out of a lot of situations where you just get in some early beats. Right. Uh, and then I have, I have a Stratus Scythe, which can just blow people out. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, the, deck's, the deck's not the best deck I've had, um, but you know, I, I think I should, should be able to put up some more wins with it. Yeah, I mean, being able to supplement the infect with the proliferate is, is yes. a good way to kind of well, make up for that. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that proliferate is, I think, an interesting mechanic. And uh, actually, someone someone asked me uh, yesterday, or rather earlier today, you know, what I thought you know it would take for poison to be, to be uh, competitive and constructed. Right. And I said either some you know solid early drop poison creature, like a one drop infect guy, right. or just quality proliferate stuff. Because one of the one of the ways that proliferate is different, or that rather the infect is different from sort of a normal beatdown deck. Uh, and you, you have a lot of opportunity cost to play in fact. You can't really play just you know, value creatures like, like Gatekeeper or anything yeah, like that. because they don't do yeah, it. They, they just yeah. don't have synergy with what you're doing. Um, so you lose out a lot just sort of necessarily that way. Um, but you do gain the fact that your deck can, can win through this different angle. Right. You, know, you don't have to just keep getting damage in. If you hit them once, you can theoretically win. So I, I think that if there's you know, quality infect stuff, like constructed level infect stuff, mm. or uh, proliferate stuff, uh, in the next set... I think that there's, you know, a reasonable chance that Infect might might actually see some play. But as of Mirrored and Besieged, you're not, you don't think it's enough. I don't think so. I mean, okay. the the best sort of Infect decks I've seen are like Tezzeret Infect decks. Right. But like those decks are just so bad when they don't have their Tezzeret. Yeah. You, it, most of the Tezzeret decks sort of fall into that category. Is that they're, you know, they play a bunch of cards that they're basically playing because they're playing a Tezzeret deck. Yeah. And you know, when they don't have their Tezzeret, they're playing a bunch of awkward cards that really aren't as good as the cards that other decks are playing. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for uh, for taking a couple minutes to uh, to talk to us. No problem. My so, pleasure. Uh, hopefully, uh, maybe I'll talk to you again later in the weekend. Hopefully, you'll be interviewing me after my topic. That, that sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. All right. Oh, last question. Team Brad or Team Guillaume? Brad for sure. All right. Sounds good. All right. All right thanks, Brian. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you. All right. We're here on Saturday of Magic Weekend Paris. This is Joey Pasco. I'm here with top eight competitor Patrick Chapin. Hey. What's up? Uh, congratulations! First, th- first of all, um, this is your fourth Pro Tour top eight, right? Yep. yep. Um, and your yep. your last one was in New York. Yeah, Worlds in two thousand seven. And then, uh, what were the first two? Uh, the let's see, there was a booster draft Pro Tour uh, in New York in nineteen ninety, uh, I guess nineteen ninety seven, mm-hmm. and then there was a Rochester draft uh, Pro Tour Saga block. That the, the first one was Fifth Fifth Visions. A oh, fine wow. format if I've ever seen one. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and then the yeah the second one was the 
Rochester draft, back when they used to do Rochester draft, you know, right. back in like '98 or '99, something like that, in uh, in in Los Angeles, you know. So, so two limited, two constructed. Uh, well, oh, this one, this one. Yeah, that's right. Worlds was split too. That's right. And now this is this is yeah, obviously yeah, split yeah, now, yeah, but. I mean, and then, and then, you know, obviously Dallas. Ah, uh, Dallas. That was uh, that was standard, but that was like that was the junior division back when, oh, okay. uh, yeah, back in '96. So. Okay. Cool. Well, uh, so I guess tell us a little bit about the deck you're playing. Uh, I'm playing Grixis Tezzeret. Um, uh, a lot of people playing Tezzeret just built blue black decks, but I didn't think that it was realistic to beat the aggro decks with just blue black. And the uh, so I'm using like red for Galvanic Blast, Slagstorm, and Pyroclasm, and uh, the I expected Aggro to do very well at this event. Um, I thought that like, a lot of people were concerned because like the build, the way that I have it set up, is kind of poor against Valakit, and Valakit's you know the most popular deck. But I kind of thought that Valakit would do poorly. Like I thought it would be kind of popular, but as long as I did well at the beginning of the day, I think I thought I could dodge it because I didn't think Valakit was actually a good choice at all for this event. And uh, and Tezzeret itself, you know, does a pretty good job of beating up on blue decks. And then yeah. the, the all the my removal, you know, the magnets and all the red removal does a very good job against the aggro decks. So, uh, new cards would be like Slagstorm, Sphere of Suns, Ink Moth Nexus, uh, obviously Tezzeret, Asian Abolas. So a lot of new cards. Yeah, um, Treasure Mage. Looks like you were right too. I mean, Valakut isn't didn't make the top eight and didn't seem to do didn't seem to show up too much at the top of the. the yeah, yeah. Or... Like considering it was over twenty percent of the field, mm-hmm. like I think the highest finishing Valakit player was Matt Marr at like twenty second or something. like that. Yeah, that sounds about right. I know he was. I knew he was playing Valakit, and I know he was somewhere thereabouts. Besides, um, people who play Valakit at Pro Tours, mm-hmm. are you really concerned? Other than Ben Stark, are you really <laughs> concerned about them in the draft portion? I mean, come on. <laughs> um, so. Uh, Cooled off the red was the big deck last week at the Star City Open. Yep. Is that something that you tested against or were concerned about? Or? Yeah, well, I wasn't ever. I wasn't. I wouldn't say concerned. Just we we, we definitely tested it a lot even before that weekend, you know. Mm-hmm. And we knew that it was going to be really big, and we thought that it might actually be really big at the Pro Tour unless it broke out at the uh, the Star City event first. Right. And it broke out enough that people kind of adapted. Yeah. And that actually I think helped us a bit because uh, as people slanted their decks more against the aggro decks. Uh, they end up with more dead cards against uh, creatureless Tezzeret, you know, mostly right. creatureless Tezzeret deck, yeah. and then uh, had some sick sideboard technology against the called out the red decks. A lot of them were using uh, Jinxed Idol to try to beat control decks, but we're not even really a control deck. And if they ever give us a Jinxed Idol, first we can turn it into a creature with Tezzeret and then have it sack itself to itself. But also, <laughs> we even board in a called out the red or called out the rebirth ourselves because it can make a lot of blockers. Or you can just sack their. I mean, you can sack you know sacking a prophetic prism or an extra mox or anything like that. Gives you a ton of blockers, but sacking their jinxed idol, yeah, that's so demoralizing. <laughs> that's that's good tech right there. It's funny because jinxed idol seemed like it was nowhere until I mean it wasn't seeing any play until Kladatha Red kind of showed up. At least I never saw it. Yeah, uh, no, no, so. no. It's not seeing that much. It wasn't seeing play. I mean, Kladatha Red just like the perfect mix of a deck that wants artifacts has. Tons of creatures uh, needs to have a plan against control decks with sweepers, and a lot of the control decks, the old blue white and the blue black decks, mm-hmm. couldn't really get rid of artifacts. But I mean, I think if if nothing else, people have seen at this event that blue black control and blue white control are obsolete. You know, like the yeah. format, it's, blue white control and blue black control, at least as they were traditionally built, mm-hmm. they're not that good. I mean, they're okay, but they're both barely tier two, if that. You know, like blue white. Cargo is the few co- right. the, the Cawblade decks. That's the w- direction of blue white, a much more aggressive style of blue white. You know, with Stone Forgers and Squadron Hawks. And then you took blue black in a more aggressive direction. Exactly. I mean, you have what Tezzeret. two counter spells main deck? Is that, yeah, is that exactly. Right? I mean, I got a bunch more on the sideboard, but I only play two counter spells main deck, and I'm not really control at all. I'm much more of an aggro control deck. You know, just try to tempo people out and then 
just beat them down with five fives, you know? Yeah, and the Planeswalkers, I mean, it's kind of like a, uh, uh, in a way, I mean, even though you only have, what, two Planeswalkers, there's no, no more than Tesseret and Jace, right? Yeah, it just has so, Tesseret and Jace, yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of like a, a new version of Super Friends, except it's just it's just a dynamic duo, I guess, now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, yeah, I guess it's a little bit so what what uh, what decks did you see in the standard portion that you uh, that you beat and were there any that you had uh, had trouble with? I know you were you I went eight, you one, went one. okay yeah with the, including the draw okay. I uh, I uh, let's see I defeated blue black control then I, I defeated Valakit, and then I defeated uh, red green poison actually oh wow and then I <laughs> defeated uh, the rug deck red blue green ramp and then I defeated black blue green ramp. And then I, uh, and then I lost to Green White Quest, um, Nico Boni, who also top aided. You know, definitely, that's one person I'm hoping to dodge. Like I think my matchup's fine against him, but if we, if him and I meet in the finals, he would be on the play, and he's playing a deck where being on the play is a big advantage against me. You know, yeah. and um, let's see, let's see. I also defeated uh, uh, a Cobblade deck, a. Um, I drew with a Cowboy deck intentionally, and then uh, also defeated uh, an Esper Cowboy deck. Wow! Yeah, so one of the Japanese players was playing the Cowboy deck with Esper, like which is black added for like tar pit and duress. And then uh, one more. Um, I bet it was some kind of a blue deck. I was gonna say, did you see any vampires or no. anything? Because you seem to have taken a, a rough tour of the metagame, kind of a, a little bit of everything. But yeah, definitely played against uh, a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. I think the other one, was, the other one was probably some kind of a blue deck. So uh, you, the, the genesis of this deck. I mean, I know you, you came to Paris early. How long have you actually been here before the event? I came straight from the pre-release. Okay. And uh, met up with Michael Jacob, and um, the two of us went over to Nassif's place, and then we took a train to the south of France to uh, an apartment owned by Guillaume Matignon, and we tested with uh, Matignon, uh, Wafo Tapa, and, uh, and Lucas Florent, and then additionally some, uh, a number of other Jap- uh, I mean another a number of other French players kind of circulated through, depending on which day it was, you know, like Raph Levy, Antoine Ruel, and Pierre Canale, you know, but mostly mostly worked with uh, Michael Jacob, Wafo Tapa. Uh, Matignon and uh, and you know and and it was uh, only three people ended up playing the deck. Yeah, so I was going to ask like, how many people ended up playing it. Um, and everybody was pretty much playing the same seventy-five, or were there? A uh, well, Michael Jacob and I are playing. Uh, I think like all all of us, I think, are playing within a couple cards. They okay. each changed a couple cards in the sideboard. Same main deck, though. I saw the gravitational shift in that. He just board. likes the card. Yeah, okay. like I. <laughs> I definitely recommend my sideboard. <laughs> okay. Well, Although it should change after this event, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, uh, sideboarding aside, is there anything you would change kind of about the 75 after having played in the event? Um, uh, no, I mean, I think it was perfect for this event. Okay. But uh, I would probably build it different now that things have changed. You know, mm-hmm. I expect there's going to be much more artifact hate. You know, like I think that divine off- white decks will start playing four divine offerings. Yeah. You know? Um, I guess I would have like, I would have actually, like, shatter at this tournament. Yeah. You know, maybe, or Crush, maybe Crush, either Crush or Shatter. I mean, this, probably Shatter, being able to hit an Ornithopter is important. Yeah. But uh, Artifact Removal is so good now, and Divine Offering is even better, obviously, from gaining, like, six life or whatever, you know? Yeah. And so if other people have tons of Divine Offerings, they could really mess up my mana by attacking that. 
and then in addition, uh, some people might even do things like put in their, you know, play that two GG, destroy all, oh, right, yeah, right. destroy all artifacts. It's like a new Shatterstorm, right? Like we expected nobody to actually have that for this event, mm-hmm. but in the future, people might actually play that card, and that'd be a real pain. Yeah, so do you feel like this deck, uh, if people were to want to play something like this, do you think it's something that people should uh, be concerned? I mean, I guess they got to be concerned about a lot of the artifact hate. Is there a way? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not sure what the right formula is yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you just got to be okay with tinkering with it and changing it a little bit, you know? Okay. Like, it's, I think it's for sure, like, Tezzeret's for sure going to still be a good deck. I just think you have to evolve the, the build of it. It has to change a little bit, you know? Like, people who try to copy the exact 75 from this one, they're going to end up being hopelessly out of date, you know, two weeks from now as people slant their decks to be able to beat this type of stuff. Right. part of the advantage of gain from this is the fact that it hits from an angle that people weren't really expecting. Right. Um, okay. So your first uh, your first round or your first, first matchup in the quarterfinals is Paul Rietzel, who's playing Boros Lifts. Uh, how do you feel about that matchup? Uh, I mean, uh, I'm I pretty much... I, I guess I like it. I... Uh, Paul Rietzel is one of the strongest players on top eight. He's you know absolutely fantastic player, and he's very much in his element playing with step links. You know, yeah. he's one of the most fearsome step links <laughs> players of all time. So probably the most, you know. Right. But uh, fortunately, um, I get to play first in our first game because I finish higher in Swiss, which is a major advantage in that matchup. And then uh, I also I beat him in Swiss, but um, I think he sideboarded wrong in Swiss, and I think that I got really. F- Fortunate, and because uh, I made a number of mistakes, but it ended up working out okay for me. But uh, I think it's going to be a real tough match or close match. But I think having the ed- getting to go first in game one will give me enough of an edge, you know. Plus, it's, right. I think it's a slightly favorable matchup for me because of the number of sweepers I have. Right. I mean, you pretty much metagame the deck against aggro, kind of in the main and deck. Jace decks and aggro. Right. right. I, like I basically I wanted to be able to beat Stoneforger Mystic and Jace the Mind Sculptor. Right. Sounds good. Um, I think that's everything. I think that's, that's all I can think of off the top of my head. Or, you know. <laughs> um, so I appreciate you taking a couple minutes, and, and good luck. I, I'm definitely pulling for you to get there. So uh, Thanks a lot. So I appreciate the time. So Thanks a lot. Thanks. Let's see. I'm a tutor of Shriek Maw. Evoke it, then bring back Shriek Maw. All my blockers are dead. You want to beat? No. I got to wait until my lock is complete. Oh. Hey, you can't kill me yet. I understand. You're not quite comfy until you kill all my land. I'll just check out while you recur your whole hand And wait the ten minutes that this one turn is spanned Yup, you really got me 360 degrees I guess that's how it goes when you still had all these Deep, 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 deep.